and we're going to be reading from the first verse. Fourteen years later, oh, it's got a heading there as well. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. This is Paul speaking. I took Titus along also. I went in response to Revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, who those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we shall go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Filling in for Norm Tapper. Norm and Lynn are unwell uh, this morning, um, so we appreciate you uh, doing the reading uh, for us this morning. Um, well, it's an interesting text, isn't it? Uh, painful text. Um, there's a lot of sort of awkward things in there, circumcision and uncircumcision and all sorts of things. Um, we're going to be having a look at it, uh, looking at it this morning as we continue in Galatians. Um, I just want to say by way of the last uh, verse there that we... Um, that we finished off on, uh, where at the end of this meeting that we'll look at in a moment between Paul and the, um, the, the first apostles and with his friend Barnabas and Titus who he's brought along and no doubt a host of others, um, they had this big discussion and at the end of it there, they're reminded uh, of one of the key purposes of, of the church. Not only is it to preserve uh, and to conserve uh, the faith once handed down to the saints once and for all, the gospel message, um, but the practicalities of that, how it outworks, how we care for and look after the poor. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to be uh, reminded uh, of our ministry as we look at uh, the Ministry of Compassion. Uh, we've got uh, David Burns coming. He's a, a local, I understand. Some of you may uh, know of him or have heard of him before. I think he lives in Foster. He'll be coming as a representative from Compassion and uh, just giving us an update in, uh, in, uh, around our project that we support uh, in Kapung, Kapung. Uh, the people group there, and I think there's, we're sort of, at one stage we had nearly 60 children our church were uh, sponsoring, which of course is not just the child, it actually 
encourages and supports the whole community. Um, so, yeah, we'll be hearing an update on that and being encouraged about that. And uh, so we'll leave uh, that verse 10 uh, from our reading uh, this morning. Um, we'll leave that uh, as a bit more of a focus. We'll pick up uh, there next Sunday. So last week, uh, we finished off chapter 1 of Galatians and we were basically reminded of Paul's story, Paul's testimony, the Apostle Paul's testimony, how he came to faith, um, what Jesus did in his life, in light of all he'd been trying to do and trying to, uh, to achieve in connecting faithfully with his God. He now met him, encountered him in the flesh, in the resurrected Jesus. And it was a wonderful story. And we were able to see uh, the result in his life of God's grace. And we were reminded about God's grace in our lives. And I trust, uh, as it was for me, I trust for you, our time in communion together. Uh, it was wonderful to sit there and to reflect upon God's grace in our lives. And I hope that's been the case that you've been able to do well, every day, uh, but at some point at least this week. And uh, Paul the Apostle, uh, in the passage we left off at the beginning of, uh, or the end of chapter 1, he was sharing this story, this encounter of God's grace with the Christian community right throughout the region of Galatia. And he was doing this, uh, in some ways, to defend himself. Uh, he was doing this to defend his identity and his authority as an apostle. Remember, he was the least of all the apostles, uh, as one having been born untimely. You know, in other words, he was saying, you know, a different time if I'd been born, maybe I would have encountered Jesus in person and seen him in his ministry and uh, been one of the twelve. Uh, uh, disciples, apostles, uh, to begin with, but I wasn't. Instead, uh, Jesus passed on to me um, the message that I have. And, and so there's these kind of, potentially, there's these, uh, there's these two groups. There's Paul and there's the other apostles who are uh, spreading the gospel. And then there's this third group, the Judaizers, uh, converted Jews who've come to faith in Christ. They've realized he's their Messiah, as we've heard, and we'll look at again this morning. And they come in, and so there's this kind of, um, it's coming to a head, We've got to get this sorted out, and this is what our passage this morning talks about, a significant meeting um, in the life of these apostles. Uh, but basically, Paul's message was this. He was, uh, he was telling uh, the church in Galatia, and he's telling us still today, as it's God's word, that no person, no matter your cultural heritage, background, or otherwise, no matter your religious standing, no person is good enough or religious enough to ever be reconciled to God by doing good things or religious things or chasing after God. It also tells us this, that neither is anyone so bad or so sinful that they can't receive God's free, abundant gift of, gift of grace and of forgiveness. And Paul's defining what he believes to be the only true message of salvation. This is, this is, this is high stakes. We're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, or through faith alone, through the works of Jesus Christ and Him alone. And when we add anything to this, uh, anything else, things like rules or um, ways to live or you know, religious rituals and so on, we lose the entire message, it falls apart. It's no longer the, the gospel in its purest form, and I've been saying it's no long, longer the capital G gospel, it becomes a different gospel, becomes a, another good news message, small g, a one that does not have hope, one that does not have power one that does not bring salvation. And Paul says it needs to be condemned, not put up with, not looked as like, oh, well, it's a bit lesser, but mm, at least we're halfway there. No, 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 it's to be condemned. There's only one true gospel. So what Paul's doing here is he's drawing a clear line in the sand. 
the good news about Jesus. Oh, by the way, he's not he's not uh, sitting here defending, saying, look, you know, I've, I've, I need to prove to you that this is the gospel. He's totally confident that he has the right message because he knows who he got it from. This good news message is about Jesus and it was given directly to him from Jesus. So that's not the issue here. But uh, under no circumcised uh, and no circumstances and no circumcision will that be compromised. Uh, so today's reading has Paul bringing us uh, along to this meeting. Happened 2,000 years ago, roughly, and you think, well, what's that got to do with us today? Uh, well, we still meet as churches. Um, yesterday, uh, a small number of us, uh, Evan and I and uh, David and Janine Hayes and um, Ann Harris, we, um, Ann Harris and um, Hill, began with H, uh, we drove down to Mayfield Baptist, uh, where they held a hub there for our um, Baptist Assembly of Churches gathering in Sydney. And uh, we're able to live stream in part as well as have fellowship with others uh, from churches around here and so on. It was a good time to gather. And we too met there to work through uh, some very, what for most of us thought, uh, obviously by the result, very elementary and basic truths, uh, foundational convictions, uh, parts of the gospel message, um, to, to um, reaffirm those um, as, a, as, a church, as a collection of churches and as an association of churches. So meetings are really important. They continue to happen. And I, I confess, I didn't have the best attitude going into this. I don't think uh, anyone there had, actually, I think we all confessed at the start, a similar attitude. Why would we give up a whole Saturday plus an hour and a half drive or nearly two-hour drive each way uh, to get there? And in some, someone's case, a, a soccer game on top of that on Saturday evening. Why would you do that when you've got to be back at church the next morning uh, for the sake of just meeting together? Well, meetings are important. And it was a wonderful time to get together. This meeting with Paul, 2,000 years ago, was one of the first of such meetings. And it was a significantly, uh, massively important one. If this meeting was unsuccessful, if this meeting went uh, terribly, if this meeting couldn't be worked out, it would have had a, a, a devastating effect on Christianity. Right from the start, Christianity would have been disunified. Now, some of us, we think, well, isn't it disunified now? Like, it's splintered everywhere. There's so many different versions of it and expressions of it, and a lot of people have tried it and been grown up in it, and they've gone, it's just, no one, they can't even sort out what they believe. Well, this is about our core belief, and that's why this message was so important. Uh, if they hadn't have worked through this issue that we'll look at now, uh, Christianity would have uh, divided and schismed and fizzled out. Uh, all those centuries ago. There's a lot here at stake. So let's have a look what happened. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a section of Scripture. It's up on the, uh, pay, uh, the screen for you. It's from Acts chapter 15, 1 to 5. It captures uh, what I think is most likely, not everyone agrees actually, but most likely the same meeting uh, that Paul is writing about here in Galatians chapter 2. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. He says, But some men came down from Judea, it's always men, uh, came down from Judea and they were teaching the brothers a false gospel. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is their message. You can see why from what we've been looking at so far, why it's a false gospel. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles. These are the, the 11 with Messiah, so the, the 12 again. And the elders about this question. And so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles that they had seen. And this brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. 
And when they came to Jerusalem, so think about this, all Jews are getting, uh, Gentiles are getting converted and this is causing great joy. They come to Jerusalem, this is now the capital of Israel. Um, they were welcomed by the church there and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. However, some believers who belonged to this party of the Pharisees rose up and they said, no, 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 it is necessary to circumcise these Gentiles in order to keep, uh, uh, to order them uh, to keep the law of Moses. So remember what we've been listening to over the last couple of Sundays, Jesus plus nothing equals uh, salvation, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? But well-meaning religious people here, converted Jews, have come to faith in Jesus as their Messiah, but they've insisted that how we've got to bridge the gap. Somehow we are the guardians of this great faith, this great um, heritage, uh, this belonging to God, this old covenant, which Jesus said was the old covenant, he's now come to bring the new. And we need to somehow, we've got to make this, we've got to reconcile this. And so in this case, they're saying, well, what was the marker? What was the key marker that makes us distinctive as a people of Israelites, of God's people? It was circumcision. Uh, all male boys were circumcised and that was a distinctive mark. Gentiles, um, I guess, had the sense not, well, they, you know, they thought, why would you do that? That's painful, so we're not going to do it. God, in his wisdom, uh, in the Old Testament, gave that uh, command to his people, and that's what they did, and it became a sense of pride for them. And we know that, uh, as any markers, we become proud of them, whatever marker we put to identify ourselves, and we think this is great, and we start worshipping or idolising the marker rather than the meaning of the marker. And that's what was happening here. And they've gone, well, let's, let's make the Gentiles really prove their faith that they have come into... Jewish family, uh, they need to be circumcised, surely. The men need to be circumcised just like uh, we do. So they're saying Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. It's a really serious issue and the church had to work through this painstakingly. They had to thrash this out. Just how powerful was the gospel? How powerful is this gospel? How transformative can it be? Especially now that God's plan included Gentiles to receive his gift of grace. What do we do with such a diverse group of people? Jews and Gentiles. Uh, remember from last Sunday, chapter 1, verse 16, uh, Paul, a, a, a devout Jew, like the, the, the cream of the crop, he reminds us that God had set him apart from birth to preach this radically powerful gospel message and to do so specifically to the Gentiles. Isn't it amazing when he comes and he has an encounter with Jesus, his entire life's purpose is just turned around and he realises, hang on, this is something I've just tapped into. God had it planned since before I was born. That's encouraging. That's encouraging. Well, that's what uh, Paul's uh, ministry is. He's set apart for that. And now God's grace includes all people, not just God's special people. So in the Galatian region of churches, these leaders uh, were requiring that new Gentile converts had to learn and start obeying the Jewish laws. And the first test, I guess, would be go and get yourself circumcised. Uh, very different to being circumcised on the eighth day as a baby boy. Uh, you would most definitely remember this as a young adult or a male coming to uh, faith in Christ if that's what you had to do. Um, so here we are, aren't you, did someone just say, isn't that so thankful for grace? Yeah, isn't that great? Um, it was a male voice, I'm pretty sure. Um, from the perspective of these particular leaders, they were requiring that Gentiles weren't actually fully saved yet. They've come to faith in Jesus, but that's not enough. They needed to do more to be made right with God. In fact, coming only to Jesus was limiting them. They weren't there yet. They now needed this ritual, the law. 
which is really saying that Jesus alone isn't enough. And that's the message Paul was condemning. He knew if things continued, this was going to split the church. Two different messages preaching two different gospels. They cannot coexist. And so by not resolving this, there would never be unity in the, in the Christian common unity. We couldn't call ourselves that. And so Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 2 that God, through a revelation, told him to go back to Jerusalem to meet with the church leaders and the apostles. Why? Because he was worried that he had been ministering for 14 years this gospel message and that he may have been doing it in vain. If he was actually wrong, if he turns up to Jerusalem, speaks to these other apostles and they go, you know what, it does make sense. Why would God have us do all that for all those centuries and then change it? Yeah, maybe we should be blending the two. I think, Paul, you're a bit radical, you're a bit fundamentalist, you're a bit ex extreme. So, yeah, pull your head in. Yours is a false gospel and we're going to go this way. That, that, it's probably what he, he, I want to check this out. I need to get there and put it to them. He was convinced it was the gospel message, but he, he needs to make sure that he's aligned uh, and he hasn't been ministering for 14 years in vain. The other apostles didn't confirm his message and join him also in condemning these false teachers. He couldn't continue working with them. There would be no unity even in his ministry. He couldn't have unity in the gospel with these other apostles. He'd be able, unable to continue leading new churches. And his fears, he says, he feared it, that he would have been running his race for nothing. Well, we can see why this meeting's important. Now, on the one side, you've got Paul saying that the gospel is for all people, from all cultures, and we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus and him alone. On the other hand, his opponents, the Jewish Christian leaders, and they're well-meaning, they're saying that all new Christians must become culturally Jewish and would be saved through faith in Jesus plus obedience to the Jewish law. So here's what's at stake. The other apostles in Jerusalem decide to side with those who are teaching uh, against Paul. Then the church would split. So Paul needed to know if the Jerusalem Apostle leaders would accept these new Gentile Christians. And what does he do? What's the best thing to do rather than try and convince people? Show them. So he introduces them to Titus. Enter Exhibit A, Your Honour. Now, I don't know if this is actually a, a photo of, of Titus or not. I doubt it is. Um, someone's idea of what Titus looked like, but it kind of looks ancient and, uh, and cool. So Titus is Paul's partner and he's his fellow worker. But he's been brought to this meeting as a living, breathing example, a flesh and blood example of a Gentile Christian that, by the way, is not circumcised. And Paul tells us in verse 4 that these false teachers were insisting that someone like him had to do that, that he had to become circumcised. Kind of a brutal test of your conversion. Paul brings the apostles a test case and, 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 and he, he's standing right there before them. And look what he says in verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. It's like, whew, the tension's over. This is going good for Paul. Even Titus, who was with him, wasn't forced to be circumcised, even though he was Greek. By God's grace, the answer was no. You can imagine how relieved Titus was. I'm sure at that point he's going, hang on a minute, is this why you brought me? And, you know, whew, dodged that one. The apostles joined with Paul. They affirmed the one true gospel that he'd been preaching since being converted and turned to Christ. And he'd been doing that for 14 years. And now these people, regardless of their cultural background, can come to faith as well. Titus is able to be a Christian person, distinctly Gentile, 
looking and sounding and acting and living and behaving, nothing like a Jewish person, and yet be considered a full member of God's family through Christ. The implications of this are critical for you and I today. And I know some of us think, well, yeah, we've heard this. Well, I know it's, it was only one letter that you read from start to finish. We're really teasing them out, these letters. But it's really important in every generation. You see, the idea that we only become fully right with God because of something other than Jesus is, is a really serious issue. And, and I say this as a pastor because even pastors... Our motivations we've got to look at, well, why are you a pastor? Why do you want to be a church leader? You know, for many of us, there is an element of, initially, well, we want to make sure we're doing things right for God. We want to make sure God's people are doing things right for God, which is all about us, really, and our drive and our motive. So we've got to work this through ourselves as well. And then as a pastor, you realise that you get overwhelmed with it, and then you hear people still saying things or doing things or, or... conveying a certain worldview and understanding they have, which is still them trying to strive and please God outside of faith in Christ. And, and it is serious. Um, I'm just going to go through a couple of examples that I've lived with as a Christian, and, and they may ring true to some of you here. How many of us grew up thinking that our baptism was something needed to be done only when we were good enough or experienced enough as a Christian? That was the tradition I grew up in, a Baptist tradition, yeah, it was only old people, they were probably 35, but you know, it was only older people, generally, they weren't, they were older than that, they had moustaches, they, they were older people, um, the, the men, and, and they had to be older Christians before they got baptised. You never had children, you never had some, barely someone in their 20s, it was always it was like, hmm, I'm not sure about this person, they haven't lived long enough yet, they haven't proven to us yet, by their lifestyle, that they're fully Christian. That's Jesus plus baptism equals salvation, in whatever form it can be too. Sometimes you'll be a part of a Christian tradition that says there's this way to get baptised at this age and then there's that way to get baptised at that age. And then we go, we say it subtly, but you know, well, those ones that practice the other thing that what we practice, yeah, are they really, you know, we do it. That's Jesus plus baptism equals salvation. It's a, not, it's a false gospel. What about this familiar teaching that was prevalent in the 80s and 90s? Again, I'm a little bit older now. Uh, I couldn't grow a moustache yet, but there you go. Uh, once you came to faith in Jesus, you had to prove that you had Jesus living in you. And the way to prove and demonstrate that Jesus was living in you by his spirit was to demonstrate that in speaking uh, an angelic language, speaking in tongues. Uh, I had that spoken to me, taught to me clearly at a number of youth things and different things I was a part of, that unless I had spoken in tongues, I am not yet fully saved. Paul says, that's anathema. He condemns that. That's Jesus plus tongues equals salvation. Of course, if you're called and gifted to speak in tongues, then literally knock yourself out if that's what God's given you. But it has nothing to do with salvation. It, it, doesn't, it, does, it is not evidence of salvation. It is a gift given by God. Uh, we could go on. What about this one? We meet someone who dresses differently to us or who enjoys a drink and enjoys a smoke. Maybe not so much today. Everyone seems to know that uh, it's a, 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 a very unhealthy habit. Um, but uh, I've heard it um, raised often by well-meaning Christian people uh, through my experiences in church, uh, that, you know, unless a person starts dressing a particular way, unless they start um, uh, acting or holding to particular uh, conservative views of things, unless they're a respectful person, uh, unless they give up the drink or, or don't drink at all, um, or, you know, they've got to stop smoking. The oh, they smoke. No, I saw them, I saw them smoke. I saw this person. I saw this person. 
and they were smoking. I could smell the cigarettes on them. What, what's your concern? Well, are they real? I saw them in church as well on Sunday. I know I'm hamming it up, but this is serious. This is, this is how we have been as Christians. They're not quite there yet. That's Jesus plus dressing and living healthy equals salvation. The Apostle Paul will have none, none of it. God's word will have none of it. We are only made clean. We are only made righteous through faith in Jesus. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing that we're required to do um, to make ourselves any more uh, complete and righteous before our perfect and holy God. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in um, Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. He says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He's talking to we Gentiles, right? He says, um, God has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death uh, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see, he says it's only through what Jesus has done, through his death on the cross, that we were made holy and righteous. You know, my favourite picture, an image that captures this so well, I love this image. See the cross? You see where God's view of us is? And you see us? Look what God sees. He doesn't actually see us as we come going, oh man, I'm unworthy, I'm a sinner. He doesn't actually see that. What's he see? He can only see the cross. He sees the empty cross of his son, the Lord Jesus. It's a, it's a wonderful image. Um, you know, you can always tweak images. I look at the guy there and, you know, he's got that kind of sort of insecure, weak, like, <laughs> I hope I'm okay, like fear and trepidation. Um, you know, we can boldly approach the throne of God because that's what God sees. He sees his son, Jesus. He sees the empty cross. And so we can, we, by all means, we do, when we, when we know we're a sinner, we confess uh, and we, we ask for forgiveness and we need to keep doing that uh, because um, we do continue to sin. But God says there's, there's no guilt or condemnation. He says, I know, you're one of mine. I see you, I see Christ. That's all I see is Christ in you. I love how that captures that. Well, let me say this clearly. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you need to do to ever make you, yourself more holy, more righteous than you already are in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that we live with ourselves, right? And I know that, and I live with myself, and we think, oh, yeah, but if only you knew. Yeah, but it may, God, of course God knows. That's why he came to save us. That's why he came to die for us. He knows what it is we've done and do and struggle with. And he says, yet, because you trust in my son Jesus, it's faith the size of a mustard seed, and that alone, I only ever see him in you. Isn't that liberating? Getting back to our passage, for the apostles in Jerusalem to accept Titus, a Greek who's never obeyed any Jewish laws, that, um, they were making this point uh, perfectly clear, that a person is only made righteous and holy through faith in Christ. So what's the outcome? Well, two, two things. Why is Paul telling them and why is he telling us today? Well, he's doing it for the sake of unity and he's doing it for freedom. You see, this meeting in Jerusalem, the church, uh, they were able to maintain a unified message. Together they could affirm, they could go with great rejoicing that uh, even though this kind of, you know, Paul, a little bit different, considerably different uh, to the other apostles, still had the same authority, he'd received the same message, and together now they can go confidently and, uh, and, and continue to take God's good news out. Paul specifically to, to Gentiles, uh, Peter and some of the other apostles specifically to Jews. And we're going to hear about Peter next week, which is um, a really exciting story. I like preaching about uh, Peter and more, more about Jesus in Peter, but uh, it's, it's going to be good. 
Uh, you see, this unified gospel message transcends cultures and languages and people groups and all those experiences that God gives us. And, and, and the gift of salvation comes into that. And the other apostles could now affirm uh, that with Paul, the Gentiles, just like Titus, could freely come in. The second thing it does is that um, it helps us to uh, experience freedom and to know true freedom. Look at verse 4 of what Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 2. He says that these false brothers, he says they snuck in to this meeting to spy on us, to take away the freedom we have in Christ. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish religions. You see, they're trying to take away this very freedom that Christ came to give. In other words, Paul's saying the true gospel gives freedom. Anything that you've got to do on top of that is just putting you straight back into slavery. It's the very thing you've been saved out of. Why would you go back to that? Um, have a look at uh, two aspects of freedom. First of all, you, you are culturally free. We, we have um, a freedom from uh, the constraints of our culture, whether the one, uh, the one we live in or the one we come into. Um, religion tends to make its members follow very specific rules and regulations. That's how you define who you are and ways to behave and dress and pray and worship, what you eat, what you don't eat, what you say, what you can't say, who you hang around with, who you don't hang around with. It makes your faith much less about what it simply is, a relationship with God, a freeing, liberating relationship with God. But the gospel, we're free to be ourselves. We come to God as broken people, as humble people, and we're free to be ourselves. And the wonderful news is that the power of salvation not only saves us, it promises to continue transforming us, as we heard last Sunday. We can become better versions of ourselves, not just a version, a complete new creation in Christ. Sin slowly dies in us as we take step by step in partnership with God. We live this life that starts to naturally please Him because we desire that. Uh, his, we desire what he desires as we're new people. And the second kind of freedom we get is emotional freedom. It's not the best word, but it's the best I can remember. Emotional freedom. You see, anyone who believes that our relationship with God is based on our ability to follow his laws, to obey his rules, will always feel a sense of guilt and insecurity. You know what this is like. I know I do. We can never stand up. When we're, if we put ourselves into a position of humility... We go, and we look at these laws, we go, I can't stand up to that, I can't do that. You've only got to think the wrong way. Jesus said it, didn't he? He said, you know, you've only got to think this and you might as well have broken that. Um, we, we, we just can't. And so you live with this, if you're trying to, we just live with a sense of guilt and failure. We become very insecure people. You can never truly enjoy God's presence. You can't sit there. We're always holding up the, the, the sign like a shaking sort of person. We can stand there confidently, in humble confidence. I love that word, that that hyphen word, humble confidence or confident humility before God. We're people that um, don't experience shame anymore. We don't need to experience shame because in, in Christ there's no condemnation for those in Him who are living now pleasing lives to Him because we can and we're free to. Um, we don't fear death. We're not insecure about losing life here. Um, we, we can confidently, you know, we know we're going to die. Everyone is going to die and, and we grieve terribly when loved ones and and death always shocks us, it reminds us of what's fundamentally wrong with our world, and it reminds us of what God has done for us, the new life he's given us, a resurrected life through death. We don't fear death anymore. We're not running around, is God happy with me today? What if I wasn't good enough? Will he accept me now for who I am? Maybe if I just did that, went to this program, we don't need to do any of that. We're, we're emotionally free people. 
And that's what happens when we come to understand grace. It changes everything. Well, church, as I reflect um, on this part of Galatians, I've got to say I'm just so thankful uh, for this meeting. I came away from our meeting yesterday and I, I had mixed emotions for a number of reasons. And, uh, and, and, but overall, uh, again, we, we've worked through some issues and um, we'll be reporting back on that at the um, annual general meeting. And uh, it's exciting. We, we continue to go together in, in forward in unity, um, notwithstanding some, some challenges and difficult things that we're working through as an association of churches. But, you know, I just, I sat, you know part of this passage was read out uh, at our assembly yesterday. Um, part of the passage from Acts. I just thought, wow, isn't it amazing how God just works uh, in his churches with messages that we need to hear? Well, the true gospel brings unity and the true gospel brings freedom and any other gospel destroys both. Well, for you and I today, we are called to preserve that. Nothing wrong with being conservative people. That's what we're here to do. We're here to conserve the truth that's been handed down to us. But we are also called and free to be progressive in the way we reach out to people. We're free uh, from laws and rules and from condemnation to take risks, to welcome people in who are different to us into God's family, the local church. Uh, To go to people who are different to us. We already live amongst them, uh, eat with them, serve with them, play sport together, live in community together, work with people who are completely different to us. Uh, And increasingly so as our world continues to... um, get more clever in things um, and get further and further away from, uh, from its Judeo-Christian heritage in our part of the world. Um, but we don't fear that. Uh, we're free to now engage. We can serve what we believe with humility and gratitude before God. And we're free to now engage with people, to listen, to learn and to love them. And that's what God has called us to do and that's what God called these apostles to do. And it's what Paul and the others uh, continued to do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning again for the great news of Jesus Christ, for the salvation that has been given freely to us but came at great cost to you. We thank you for giving up your son. Uh, We thank you for the mystery that in him uh, you fully dwell. The one God in three persons. Father, it's a, a concept that blows our mind, but we thank you that it demonstrates to us just how relational you are And you as the God who has created us have created us in your image as relational beings. So we thank you for bringing us into your family. We thank you for bringing us into your community. We thank you for sending us out as holy and righteous people who by faith in Jesus alone, his death and resurrection, can live out and are free to live out this new life that you desire for all people to live. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness that uh, covers us once and for all, your forgiveness that continues uh, to cover the things uh, that we uh, do that we know we shouldn't do and the things that we know we should do that we don't do. Father, we are truly grateful for your immeasurable grace and love towards us and we know that same heart uh, of yours is for all people, that they would come uh, to know that freedom they can have in Christ. So help us as your hands and feet Help us as your people to live that out faithfully in our context. And we pray this for your glory and for your kingdom to grow. Amen. Thanks, guys.